Thank you, Doc. Good afternoon uh, to one and all, and uh, thanks for joining in again. Uh, uh, this is the sixth session in the past two days uh, uh, that we are trying to discover uh, various sources, how we can make our planet cleaner, more healthier. Um, and so, to introduce our next guest, I'm going to invite my colleague Ritesh Shah. Before I do that, uh, I would like to request everybody to keep them uh, on on mute, please, uh, or mic on mute and the camera is off, except for the guest and the host. Uh, you will get an opportunity to ask your question by raising your virtual hand. Um, please note that this conference will be recorded. Over to you, Ritesh. Thank you. Thank you, Sapna. Uh, thank you, all the participants, uh, for joining on for this session. Uh, we have with us uh, Dr. Deepak Yadav. Uh, he is Program Associate at CEW. Uh, I'll start with briefly introducing him. Uh, Dr. Deepak works on the sustainability analysis of low-carbon and renewable technologies for industrial decarbonization. Uh, as a council, uh, his work involves developing a roadmap for how to decarbonize industrial sectors engaging with industrial partners on carbon mitigation strategies and supporting policy making with uh, insightful analysis. Uh, Deepak is currently focusing on alternative fuels, uh, renewable hydrogen, and low carbon energy sources such as natural gas for mitigating industrial emissions. Uh, it's just wonderful to have you uh, on board, Dr. Uh, Deepak, for this very session. I'll request you to start with your presentation, post which we'll have a brief uh, Q&A session. Uh, thank you so much, uh, and it's a pleasure to have you on board for this. Thank you, Ritesh. I hope I'm audible and you can see my screen. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Swapna, Ritesh, and Apurva for giving me an opportunity to present our work on green hydrogen opportunities and challenges for India. Uh, before we get into discussion, a quick introduction about CEW. So we are among Asia's leading policy research institutions. Uh, we work across seven focus areas. Plus we have a CEW Center for uh, Energy Panel. Uh, myself and my colleague Raymond on the board, we work in the industrial sustainability and competitiveness team. Where as the name suggests, we look at two aspects, the industrial sustainability part and also the competitiveness so that there is a sustainable transition in India. Now, Globally, uh, more than 33 countries have already announced uh, their national hydrogen strategies or they are in the preparation mode. For India, in addition to climate change, there is one more incentive to switch towards a green hydrogen ecosystem. So today, we import close to $140 billion worth of fossil fuels and the, our Honorable Prime Minister has already given us a vision of uh, energy independent India by the year 2047 when we celebrate the 100 years of independence and green hydrogen goes a long way in meeting, meeting or achieving those targets. Now, green hydrogen from a climate perspective is also very important. It's very important because green hydrogen has the potential to mitigate emissions from the so-called hard to emit industrial and uh, transport sectors. And industries, I'm talking about fertilizers, refineries, uh, petrochemical plants, and also steel plants. In mobility application, in addition to heavy duty, long distance freight, we are talking about aviation sector and marine sector, where battery electric vehicles are very difficult uh, to commercialize. 
Now, before we get into details of technical economics and electrolyzers, etc., just a brief introduction on various colors of hydrogen. So, when hydrogen produced from coal, which is essentially a coal gasification process, that hydrogen color is called as black. So, that is black hydrogen. When you produce hydrogen from lignite, then people call that hydrogen as brown hydrogen. Or something called a gray hydrogen, which is essentially your hydrogen which is obtained from the steam methane reforming or natural gas based processes. Again, there is, in, in this particular process, there is a production of hydrogen and carbon dioxide. Now, if the carbon dioxide which is produced during the coal gasification process or the steam methane reforming process is sequestered, then the hydrogen is called as blue hydrogen. There is something which is called as turquoise hydrogen, and we at TW are working on this. Where essentially you produce hydrogen from natural gas, but there is no production of carbon dioxide. What we essentially produce is solid carbon, which then has various industrial applications. And finally, there is something called as renewable electrolysis or green hydrogen. So, what happens in this process is you have renewable electricity, you couple it with a device called as electrolyzer, you produce hydrogen and oxygen. Now, in addition to this green hydrogen, there are various other colors, and I can just mention that. There is something which is called as yellow hydrogen, which is essentially your hydrogen produced using only solar electricity. And then there is pink hydrogen, which is hydrogen produced using uh, nuclear power. So these are the like various colors of hydrogen uh, that people are talking about now. Now, coming back to the existing uh, opportunity for green hydrogen in India. So today, our three sectors, and here I am talking about refineries, fertilizers, and methanol. They together consume about close to 5.6, the numbers, the absolute numbers vary, but the ballpark estimate is uh, consumption of about 5.6 billion tons of hydrogen per annum. Now, just to give an overall idea on what will it take for us to convert this 5.6 million tons of hydrogen into green hydrogen, we need about 150 gigawatts of uh, solar installation, about 100 gigawatts of electrolyzer capacity, and at today's cost, a total investment of about 170 billion dollars. And we, in the next subsequent slides, we'll see a breakdown of all these cost numbers and renewable electrolyzer capacities. Now, what are the upcoming opportunities for India? So, there is something which is green hydrogen injection in glass furnaces, and the literature suggests that green hydrogen uh, can meet about 15 to 20 percent of the energy demand uh, in glass furnaces, and in technical terms, here I am talking about the green hydrogen injection of about 25 to 30 kg per ton of hot metal. So, and India produces somewhere around 74-75 MTPA of, uh, of iron uh, last year. And if you do the math, then that uh, the existing potential of green hydrogen in glass furnaces alone it is about 20 Here we don't know what is the amount of hydrogen that can be injected in existing rotary cells, for example, and the total investment is about $60 billion. Uh, we have also done a math and this is with certain set of assumptions on the number of electric vehicles but uh, in the mobility application, especially for heavy duty long distance transport, uh, there is a potential investment of about $11 billion that is possible by the year 2030. There are also talks about green hydrogen blending in natural gas pipelines. And uh, globally people are talking about a green hydrogen blend of about 15 to 20 percent on a volume basis. So with that particular assumption, the total hydrogen that can be injected in gas pipelines across India is about 0.65 MTPA and that will need an investment of about $20 billion. Now if you sum up all these upcoming opportunities, the total hydrogen demand 
as we are looking at is about 2.8 MPPA that will need uh, solar installation of about 72 gigawatts, electrolyzer installation of about 50 gigawatts uh, with the investment opportunity of about 91 billion dollars. Now in addition to this there are other applications that I mentioned in one of the earlier slides which is regulation industry and marine transport but they are like a few years ahead upcoming opportunities that was been flown here. Now, if we talk about the techno-economics of uh, grey hydrogen production, which is essentially from natural gas and uh, renewable or green hydrogen production from solar and wind electricity, we see that the cost of hydrogen from natural gas is about $1.5 per kg and this corresponds to a natural gas price of about $8 per MMBT. Now, if you want to look at the breakup, most of the cost it's coming from the cost of your fuel itself. And of course, when the cost of fuel increases from 8 to 10 or 12 dollars per MMBT, then the cost of uh, grey hydrogen will also increase. Now, in terms of renewable hydrogen, uh, and here, what is graph shows is the levelized cost of hydrogen using various renewable energy sources. I'm talking about solar electricity alone, which is yellow hydrogen that I mentioned earlier. There is wind electricity alone, and there is a wind solar hydrogen. And this, this graph here, this is uh, for open access based renewable electricity in the state of Gujarat. And here we have considered the solar and wind profiles of Kutch. Well, Kutch uh, primarily because last year Honorable Prime Minister inaugurated a 30 gigawatt wind solar hybrid plant in Kutch. So this is a representative case. Now, here we see that the cost of hydrogen produced from solar energy alone is significantly higher than uh, from wind energy alone or a wind solar hybrid. And you know this particular case is uh, considering a green hydrogen availability of about 62% on an annual basis. So, uh, you know, starting from let's say 5% availability to about 80% availability, the cost numbers they more or less remain the same. So, this, this number can be considered for let's say 5% to about 80-85% availability. Now, here the, the distribution of cost is also very important. So, here for example, in case of solar only operation, we see that the electrolyzer cost is very dominant, as even it is higher than the solar cost of solar system alone. But in case of wind only operation, the electrolyzer cost decreases significantly as compared to the capital investment which is needed in case of wind or power plant. For a wind solar hybrid, we see again there is a breakdown. So the, the cost is primarily dominant by the share of wind electricity. The solar component is slightly higher and the cost of electrolyzer also decreases yeah, I can give you a ballpark number on the, uh, the electrolyzer capacity which is needed. So for, for solar only application, we are looking at the electrolyzer capacity of about 17 gigawatts per MTPA of green hydrogen. Uh, for wind only operation, it is about 9 gigawatts per MTPA. And for wind solar hybrid, it is about 8 gigawatts per MTPA. The absolute numbers will depend on your solar and wind electricity profile. This is for such, uh, but if you are doing it for Bedari or if you are doing it for some location in Uttar Pradesh, then the numbers are in such, such and then the absolute value or the relative values uh, will change. Now, if you are looking at the, the capital investment is needed, then uh, for grey hydrogen production process, a capital investment is about $3 billion per MTPA. The absolute value depends on the size of your SMI unit. So, the higher you go for size, your capital investment reduces proportionally. But for a green hydrogen production processes, and this is about a green hydrogen availability of about 80%, we are looking at a total capital investment of about $21 billion per MTPA. For 100% availability of green hydrogen, the, the capital investment uh, is about $30 billion per MTPA. So these are the numbers today. 
बट ग्लोबली मेनी इंडस्ट्रीज वेरी एग्रेसिव टारगेट सो लिंडे एंड नेल फॉर एक्साम्पल वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट द ग्रीन हाइड्रोजन प्राइस ऑफ वन पॉइंट फाइव डॉलर्स पर के जी बाई द इयर ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी फाइव टूडे शिफ्ट वी आर एट अराउंड एट फोर डॉलर्स पर के जी एंड इट इज थ्रू ओपन एक्सेस विदाउट ओपन एक्सेस द कॉस्ट इज अबाउट थ्री पॉइंट फाइव डॉलर्स पर के जी सो रफली फ्रॉम थ्री पॉइंट फाइव डॉलर्स पर के जी मेल एंड लिंडे आर टॉकिंग अबाउट वन पॉइंट फाइव डॉलर्स और वन पॉइंट फाइव यूरोज पर के जी फाइव ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी फाइव रिलायंस एंड सीजल दे हैव सेट अटेक अब अबाउट वन डॉलर पर के जी फाइव ट्वेंटी थर्टी एंड दिस इज द फेमस वन वन ओनियम इंडियन मैन्युफैक्चर दे हैव सेट मोर एग्रेसिव टारगेट एंड दे आर टॉकिंग अबाउट वन डॉलर पर के जी बाई ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी फाइव नाउ वॉट वर इट केम फॉर अस टू अचीव द वन 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 टारगेट ऑन ग्रीन हाइड्रोजन फर्स्ट एक्सप्लेन वॉट डू बी मीन बाय वन 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 टारगेट सो वन 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 टारगेट एसेंशियली मीन वन डॉलर पर किलोग्राम पर वन किलोग्राम ऑफ ग्रीन हाइड्रोजन इन वन डेकेंड सो एसेंशियली दिस मीन बाई द इयर ट्वेंटी थर्टी और ट्वेंटी थर्टी वन इंडस्ट्रीज अराउंड द वर्ल्ड एंड ऑल्सो रिसर्च इंस्टीट्यूशन दे वॉन्ट टू अचीव ग्रीन हाइड्रोजन प्राइस ऑफ वन डॉलर पर के जी इज द टारगेट बट लेट सी वॉट विल इट टेक टू अचीव दैट पर्टिक्युलर साइज टारगेट ऑफ यू वन डॉलर पर के सो इन केस ऑफ सोलर इंस्टॉलेशन स्टूडेंट द कॉस्ट ऑफ जनरेशन इज अबाउट टू पॉइंट टू रूपीज पर यूनिट to achieve that 1 dollar per kg target we need a green hydro we need solar electricity at around 0.84 to 1.1 rupees per unit it depends on whether there is somebody who is willing to buy the oxygen that you produce or what is the price of oxygen that you get but the ballpark estimate is about 0.85 to 1.5 1.1 rupees per unit in terms of electrolyzer and you know the cost that changing rapidly we hear that the electrolyzer cost every about 400 dollars per kilowatt but To be on the conservative end, from today level of about seven fifty dollars per kilowatt, the price of electrolyzer has to reduce to about two hundred dollars per kilowatt. The electrolyzer tax, which constitutes about forty five to fifty percent of the electrolyzer cost, it has to double from eight point five years today to about seventy years, and the overall efficiency of the electrolyzer has to increase from sixty six point five percent today to about eighty percent to achieve like one 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 target. In addition to solar electricity and electrolyzer, the cost of hydrogen storage has to reduce from $516 per kg today to about $345 per kg. So this is what it will take for us to meet that 111 target. And in the next few slides, we will see that what happens if that 111 target is met. Now, uh, you, you so in India when we are talking about the National Hydrogen Energy Mission. Uh, there is a talk that green hydrogen blend, blending norms will be implemented in fertilizers and refineries, etc. And since supply chain infrastructure is not present today, the talk is that we'll go with the open access route. Uh, so we'll have renewable energy plants somewhere, let's say in Kutch, Gujarat, and we'll have your uh, hydrogen uh, consuming stations, uh, essentially fertilizers and refinery plants somewhere in South Gujarat. So that and uh, renewable electricity will be built in real time. Uh, from Kutch to South Gujarat. So I think what the plan was. Again, there are certain concerns over here, and let me explain one of the concerns. Uh, what this particular graph shows is the consumption tariff of renewable electricity, and here I am talking about solar and wind electricity in Gujarat, uh, Uttar Pradesh, and Haryana for solar and wind electricity. Right. So these three states here, they talk about the consumption tariff uh, in uh, of solar electricity. And the later three, they talk about wind electricity, and let's look at them uh, one by one. So we assume that let's say in Gujarat we are generating electric solar electricity at 2.2 rupees a unit. 
and that is renewable electricity within the state of Gujarat. So this is Gujarat to Gujarat electricity. So 2.2, when it delivers, when it reaches the end consumer, let's say somewhere in South Gujarat, then the end consumer pays the electricity price of about 3.16 or 3.2 rupees per unit. Uh, and here 3.2, I think it's a Uttar Pradesh. If somebody has solar installations in Uttar Pradesh and deals solar electricity within the state system, and the delivered price of solar electricity is around 2.5 rupees per unit. And we have assumed that Haryana will not have, this is a representative case and it will not happen. We have considered that Haryana might not have access to uh, solar electricity within their state and definitely they will not have access to wind electricity. And our analysis suggests that for the state of Haryana, it is cheapest to wind electricity from Karnataka. And therefore, if we assume that Karnataka, uh, Haryana imports uh, or deals renewable electricity from Karnataka, then uh, the, the price that they pay is about 4.7. A rupees per unit and there is similar uh, graph which is shown on the right here for wind electricity. Now, what, what is the implication of such a inequity in renewable electricity prices is shown on the graph to the right. So, what this graph shows is your level and cost of hydrogen produced through open access mechanism for three states and we have uh, a similar curve for uh, 10 to 12 states in India. Uh, so, and here we are showing it for Gujarat, UP and Haryana. And what you see on the x-axis is the percentage blend of green hydrogen. So, just see the inequity here. So, the dark green curve uh, that you see that is for the state of Gujarat. So, this is the price that uh, consumers, uh, essentially refineries and fertilizer plants might pay in Gujarat. I am not saying that this curve is very, very stringent. It will change depending on the renewable energy availability and the location from where you are sourcing your renewable energy from. But Look at this, uh, this the curve for Uttar Pradesh. So, the consumers in Uttar Pradesh will pay a higher price for green hydrogen, whereas the consumers in hydro in Haryana, they will pay a very high price. Now, you know, this curve, a very important feature here is that, let's say we are talking about 5% or 10% blend of green hydrogen, and the absolute difference across various states is not very significant. But as, as India gets ambitious on green hydrogen space, we see that the difference between let's say Gujarat and Haryana, it keeps on increasing as we go towards a higher blend of green hydrogen. And therefore, as we get ambitious on our national hydrogen energy mission, it is very important that the inequality related issues across various states, and this is outside the, the hands of the end consumers of hydrogen, but that inequity uh, needs to be answered because otherwise, you know, a, a, let's say a refinery in, uh, in Gujarat, when they have a lower price on green hydrogen and hence their competitiveness will improve, whereas the refinery based in Uttar Pradesh or in Haryana, uh, their competitiveness might uh, reduce if they have to pay a, a very high premium on green hydrogen. Now, going to the next slide, and what we have done here is we have we know uh, what across various states, what is the hydrogen consumption potential that is there on the one side, and as you have seen on the other side, we know across various states how will the hydrogen cost of nuclear. So we have taken a weighted average curve for India. And let's see what that weighted average curve looks like. So what this graph shows here is the renewable and electrolyzer capacity needed, which is in gigawatts per MDPI, by MDPI I mean million tons per atom of hydrogen, on the y-axis, primary y-axis. And on the secondary y-axis, you see the capital investment which is needed. And this is in today's prices. This is, it's a 2021 or 2022 prices. This is billion dollars of capital investment needed for MTPA of green uh, hydrogen which is produced. And on the x-axis, you see the share or the percentage share of 
clean hydrogen. So we are talking about let's say a cycle from 5% to 7% there and we are going all the way till about 100%. Now there are three curves here. The first curve is the electrolyzer capacity which is needed. This is tan in the average, weighted average. So our estimate shows that still our green hydrogen share of about 85 or 90%, your electrolyzer capacity which is needed is about 8 gigawatts per NPCS. Your, your uh, renewable energy capacity, and when I say renewable energy, I mean a sum of both solar and wind, and we have a detailed breakdown as well, uh, if anybody is interested. But your renewable energy capacity, which is needed, is about 20 gigawatts per MTP of green hydrogen. And the capital investment that you are looking at, and this is a ballpark value, is about $21 billion per MTPA. Still a green hydrogen blend of about 85 or 90 percent. Now what happens beyond this particular value is your other something like Pareto's principle, uh, which is you know, a, a very famous principle in optimization of energy systems comes into picture. Uh, you essentially end up significantly oversizing your electrolyzer your uh, renewable energy system and you end up generating a lot of excess electricity or curtailed electricity uh, which has to be eventually curtailed uh, if there are no consumers for that excess electricity and then your electrolyzer capacity roughly doubles from 8 gigawatts per MTPA to about 17 to 18 gigawatts per MTPA. Your renewable energy installation capacity also increases significantly from let's say 20 gigawatts to about 27 uh, gigawatts per MTPA and your investment increase from about $21 billion per NPCA to about $30 to $31 billion per NPCA. But ballpark, if you are talking about uh, a green hydrogen blend of up to 80%, then these numbers, uh, they hold to Pan-India. The absolute numbers and the nature of etc. will vary from state to state. Now, let's say the government says that, yes, uh, you know, we want to go ahead with the national hydrogen energy mission and we want to enforce a mandate. Uh, on refineries that hey you have to start blending in 5%, 10% or even 15% green hydrogen fuel. Then what are the price increase or implications that we are looking at? In this graph shows here that the price increase across various refining commodities and I am talking about people gasoline, nuclear, NAFTA, etc. For a green hydrogen, you know we also were very conservative, green hydrogen costs are about $5 per kg. This is because uh, green hydrogen uh, in refineries will be blended mostly through open access rounds and the premium will increase. And we consider that grey hydrogen is available at about $1.5 a day. You see that if today and today's prices for a 15% blend of green hydrogen, the cost of diesel increases by about 36 pesa per litre, the cost increase in uh, gasoline or petrol is about 30 pesa per litre, and there is very marginal increase in cost of other commodities with the exception of fuel oil. Uh, because, you know, fuel oil, the price increases significantly high because a lot of sulfur has to be removed from the processing of fuel oil. And most importantly, there is no increase in the price of LPG. So, you know, in this particular case, let's say the price of gasoline or diesel could be about, what, 70, 80 rupees per liter, the, the increase is very marginal. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, as we get going, uh, becoming more ambitious on green hydrogen blending now, then who pays for the transition? So he might not even care about the 36 pesa or 30 pesa increase in price of diesel and gasoline, but I'm sure these people actually care. And you know, so there are certain, in addition to economic aspects, there are also social aspects uh, that need to be care, taken care of. And the social aspect becomes more important in case of fertilizer industry. For example, the government pays a subsidy of about, and this is uh, 2090 or 20 number, government pays a subsidy of about 74,000 crores per annum on urea. And with just with a 15% blend of green hydrogen, the urea subsidy increases to about increases by about 974 or 1000 crores per annum. 
And again, you know, the question that we have to ask ourselves is who will pay for this transition? Do we expect the taxpayers to pay for this transition? Because unlike refineries, where the additional price burden can be directly passed on to the consumers, in case of urea subsidy, uh, in case of fertilizers, the additional burden might not be directly passed on to the uh, end players, right? Or the, tax the taxpayers have to bail out uh, the farmers in that particular case. Or do we expect the taxpayers, if not the taxpayers, then do we expect the farmers to pay that, uh, you know, delta cost of uh, the transition? So that is something that all of us need to uh, think over. Uh, and, you know, coming back to the electrolyzer manufacturers, uh, this particular graph here shows all electrical, most of the electrolyzer manufacturers, uh, fuel cell manufacturers, uh, system integrators, and OEMs on hydrogen refueling stations. A very, a very important and, and uh, obvious takeaway from this graph is that most of the OEMs are located in the uh, in the developed countries, and there are very few uh, in developing countries. And I, one of the OEMs in India, I think they are, they they were speaker in this particular panel today. Uh, so they are based in Bangalore and they have already started exporting electrolysis too. On China, yes, there are many uh, OEMs available, but uh, we could find only a few. Uh, most of them are not uh, out there in the open domain. But Sydney's takeaway is quite, as we talk about, you know, getting accuracy on uh, natural hydrogen energy emission, we should also focus on electrolyzer, not only electrolyzer manufacturing, but also about a fuel cell manufacturers, system integrators, and if we talk about hydrogen for mobility application, then hydrogen refueling station is also something uh, that we need to uh, test here. Now, in terms of manufacturing potential, uh, this is something from literature. So, you know, one gigawatt of manufacturing facility needs a capital investment of about, you know, 45 to about 67 million dollars. Uh, there's a wide range, but let's say we go ahead with 67 million dollars number, and, and if there's a 10 MTP of green hydrogen demand in India by 2030, then we need at most about 180 gigawatt of electrolyzer capacity, which means there has to be a capital investment of about 1.2 billion dollars, assuming 18 gigawatt of uh, electrolyzer capacity is available in India. Uh, globally, there are certain projections on green hydrogen demand uptake, and if those demands are also considered, then the global demand is about 150 gigawatts by 2030. And uh, you know, in addition to electrolyzers, uh, our manufacturers exporting or uh, looking for markets outside, uh, there is also a market for clean fuels. And here we are talking about East Asian countries like Japan, Singapore, and South Korea. So these are the manufacturing opportunities and export opportunities that are available. If India can properly uh, if, uh, you know, uh, formulate policies and there is investment coming into the electrolyzer manufacturing chain. Now, this is this is this is something that we have worked on based on the information which is there in the literature, and we we are just showing the breakdown here uh, for alkaline electrolyzers, and this is a breakdown of the electrolyzer tax cost. And electrolyzer tax cost is roughly 45 to 50 percent of the total electrolyzer cost. Now, in case of alkaline electrolyzer, uh, about 84% of the total cost, total tax cost, can be indigenous because the resources, etc., are available in India. About 9% of the electrolyzer tax cost are depending on critical minerals, and uh, about 8% of the electrolyzer tax cost is uh, membranes for which we might or we might not have technologies. Now, we can also go for about 100%, uh, you know, indigenization if the electrolyzer membrane for alkaline electrolyzer is developed in the 
एंड वी हैव एक्सेस टू क्रिटिकल मिनरल्स इधर थ्रू रिसाइकलिंग और वी हैव सम ग्लोबल Yeah. 
So this strip shows the cost of producing steel using the blast furnace round. And this strip here shows the cost of producing steel using natural gas at about 13.5 dollars per mmbt and the power cost of about 7.6 to 3 rupees per unit. There are two extremities here. At the extremity to the left shows the cost of producing fossil free steel, which is somewhat very similar to the hybrid project in Scandinavia. So the extremity on the right it shows the cost of producing steel using 100% renewable grid electricity and 100% hydrogen, which is derived from natural gas. So there are two extremities, there are two strips, and there are four curves here. So we have considered four scenarios, and these the cost assumptions etc are there in our green scale report. But this is the curve for the year 2020. Uh, this is the curve for the year 2030. This is for 2040, and this is for uh, 2050. Now the graph here it should be read from right to left. Therefore, let's say in the year 2020, which is the dark green curve here, uh, we have to produce steel using uh, grid electricity, grid power at about 7.6 rupees a unit, and natural gas at about 13.5 dollars per mmbtu. And we are looking at this production price, which is significantly higher than your black one But if our steel plants have access to solar, capture solar and wind electricity, for example, uh, solar electricity is available at let's say 2.2 rupees a unit, wind is available at 2.5, 2.7 rupees a unit, then with a decrease in emission footprint of your steel, the cost of producing steel also decreases because essentially your capture solar and wind electricity at lower prices is substituting your grid electricity. Now, this co benefit of reduced emission footprint and reduced cost happens till we reach an emission footprint of about 0.91 tons of CO2 per ton of fuel. Now, if a steel plant says that hey, we want to go to even a lower emission footprint than and just using uh, you know capture solar and wind electricity, so after your grid power consumption won't suffice, then we have to start blending in green hydrogen. And therefore, the percentage value that you see here, they correspond to the percentage blend of green hydrogen in the total energy which is consumed for our steel production process. And uh, you know, so let's say we are moving from 0% blend of green hydrogen to 9% blend, then there is a slight decrease in emission footprint, and there is only a marginal increase in cost. Now, beyond this 9% blend, uh, if you want to go towards the lower emission footprint value, then the percentage blend of green hydrogen increases significantly. So, at 9% blend, of green hydrogen, we are breaking even with the upper range of past uh, project cost, which corresponds to a, a steel production cost of about 32 or 33 rupees per kg. But if you want to go to, let's say, 30 per, uh, you know, emission footprint of 0.6, then the, then the green hydrogen blend has to increase from 9% to 30%. And if we are talking about the 100% fossil free steel production, which is somewhat very similar to Scandinavia, then we are talking about a, a steel production cost of about $610 per ton of fruit steel. And therefore, you know, I would like to say that a fossil free steel, an ideal world, it is for Scandinavian countries, uh, for us, so there is, it makes absolutely no sense to go for something like a fossil fuel steel plant. But can we, you know, make a start today, start blending in 9% green hydrogen or even 0% green hydrogen and be competitive with the upper end of blast furnace cost? Because if we make a start today, then in the year 2030, we can move from 9% blend of green hydrogen to about 60% blend of green hydrogen. By the year 2040, we will not even need a natural gas as a free stock. All we need is, for this particular point, about close to 100% green hydrogen and little amount of green electricity to manage the plant auxiliary load. And in the year 2050, if the prices of various components, uh, 
So they reduce to le- to the level that we have considered, which is the solar price of about one rupees per unit and something similar for wind. Then uh, the cost of producing steel using hydrogen is actually cheaper than your blast furnace now. But for this switch, you know, from nine percent today to sixty percent in 2030, and then this to close to hundred percent in the year 2040, for this to materialize. Uh, our Indian investors in iron steel plant, they should think about investing in hydrogen-ready technologies. And if the investments continue the way they have been in gas furnaces, etc., uh, then you know uh, they are very difficult to decarbonize. At least you know using directly using green hydrogen for their uh, steel production processes. There are other competing technologies like CPUs, etc., that can be undertaken. But if you are looking for You know, hydrogen-based steel making, and we have to take a decision today and start investing in uh, hydrogen-ready technologies like charcoal. Now, if let's now here at this particular slide, let's look at three points: the capital investment which is needed to set up a 100% fossil-free steel plant, somewhere uh, similar to the public projects in the Canyon area. Of uh, investment, a capital investment for about let's say a 58% range of green hydrogen that corresponds to a Emission footprint of 0.4, and the capital investment needed for 0% range of green hydrogen that essentially corresponds to emission footprint of about 0.9 tons of CO2 per ton of CO2. Now we have the breakup here, and the discussions are there uh, in our green steel report. But the key takeaway here is that uh, for a emission footprint of 0.91 tons of CO2 per ton of CO2, we are looking at a capital investment of about 6,800 crores or roughly 7,000 crores per MTPA. So uh, this is in ballpark with the investment uh, needed for a blast furnace house. For a uh, emission footprint of 0.4 tons of CO2 per ton of crude steel, uh, we need a capital investment of about 12,000 crores per MTPA. And for a fossil-free steel plant, uh, uh, similar to the hybrid project, uh, we need a capital investment of about uh, 22,000 crores per MTPA. Therefore, this is an absolutely no-go for uh, our uh, domestic iron steel industry. But you know this. This is something that we need to think about. Uh, we also did a very interesting exercise on the possible social implications of moving to a green hydrogen-based steel making. Uh, what we see here on the left uh, is the location of about let's say about 85% of solar plants in India and close to 100% wind plants in India. So as you can see, most of the solar and wind plants uh, they are located on the In the west, on the west coast, in the states of Rajasthan uh, and Gujarat and Karnataka as well, and Tamil Nadu. What you see on the right is the location of the iron ore mines, uh, which is shown in red. The location of integrated steel plants and uh, the conjoined plants in India. And again, most as most of you might know, uh, our iron steel industry is concentrated in the three states of Odisha, Jharkhand, and Chhattisgarh. And there is only Karnataka where there is a significant overlap between your iron ore availability or the location of our iron steel plants and our renewable energy plants, which is essentially solar and wind. Now, to consider a mismatch between your renewable resource location and your iron steel plants, we did a very interesting exercise. Uh, what we considered is our uh, renewable energy plants are located somewhere in Kutch, and our iron steel plants are located somewhere in Angolodisha. And we consider three scenarios. The first scenario is you uh, produce green hydrogen in such Gujarat, and you move the green hydrogen through pipeline uh, to somewhere in Angolodisha. The second option that we considered is you have your renewable electricity plants in such Gujarat, essentially wind and solar power, and you build that electricity through open access mechanism, Angolodisha. 
That is option number two. And option number three that we considered is you move iron ore out of Angul Odisha and uh, move it to Kutch Gujarat through our Indian railway. And you know, between moving renewable hydrogen, uh, renewable electricity through open access mechanism and moving iron ore uh, from Angul to Kutch, there will be an increase in price of your fuel. But our analysis shows that the lowest increase uh, in price is obtained in case of moving iron ore from Angul Odisha to Kutch in Gujarat. No, and you know, a very interesting thing is, what does this say about our future hydrogen ready iron steel plants? I think saying that a few of them, not if all of them, will move from the the relatively less poor uh, space in the east to the relatively affluent uh, space in the west. So that is something that we need to think about and plan in advance to ensure that the transition is smooth. Now, what are the enablers for green hydrogen economy? And I need not talk about the graph on the left. I think everybody knows that the cost of solar electricity has decreased significantly uh, from 10 to 11 rupees uh, per unit in 2010 to about uh, 2 rupees or 2.2 rupees uh, per kilowatt hour today due to economy of scale. A similar thing is expected at least for electrolyzer technology. So currently with the batch process, uh, the cost of electrolyzer is about 700 to 800 dollars per kilowatt current giga size factory, giga factory, we are looking at the electrolyzer production cost of about you know 400 to 500 dollars per kilowatt. A few people are quoting even a lower number, but a future, a future you know giga factories on electrolyzer manufacturing cost, they are looking at around 200 to 250 dollars per kilowatt. So just like you know benefiting from economy of scale in the solar photovoltaic system, there is there is a likelihood that electrolyzer cost will also reduce once we scale from a past process to giga scale. What are the other enablers for green hydrogen ecosystem in India? And here, you know, something like national hydrogen mission is very important because the mission addresses all existing sectors, refinery, fertilizer. Uh, the mission, I think, also talks about blending green hydrogen in uh, in uh, natural gas pipelines, uh, mobility application. Uh, the green hydrogen uh, mission, most importantly, will have a purchase obligation for refineries and fertilizer plants that ensures there is a guaranteed uptake uh, for green hydrogen in India. Uh, of course, yes, they are talked about the production link incentive or the PLI scheme uh, that will enable a Make in India uh, mechanism for electrolyzers and then for other components across the value chain. And most importantly is, you know, our estimates or our analysis shows that about 45% of the total hydrogen, and here I am talking about industrial hydrogen, if the demand is from PSU, so even if private industries are not keen on, uh, you know, blending green hydrogen, there's 45%, which is roughly about 2.5 MTPA of uh, hydrogen uh, demand, which the government can ask the PSU to offset. So, you know, that 45% uh, market is anywhere there. So, these are the, uh, the enablers for a green hydrogen economy in India. Uh, in addition to this, there's another enabler, which is export market. And, uh, you know, so uh, countries in the east, and here I'm talking about Japan, South Korea, and Singapore, they are very, they are, they are very ambitious to make a switch to clean fuels. And here we, they are looking at importing ammonia from not, not from India, but they have bilateral agreements with uh, other countries like Saudi Arabia and Australia. Uh, a, a few countries in the Europe, and here I'm talking about Germany, Italy, etc., they are also looking at importing, uh, you know, clean fuels because they do not have the renewable energy needed to meet their energy demand. Uh, there are a few other countries, just like the fossil fuel market in the, in the world, the, the clean fuel market, whenever it uh, 
sees the light of the day, it is expected to be very competitive. And therefore, while we in India are looking at, you know, becoming an export hub of clean fuels, this is something that our Prime Minister also talked about, but we also will also face competition. And here I am talking about countries like Saudi Arabia, Oman, or Chile. They are, they are, they are very aggressively pursuing the export market now. Uh, and they are, you know, uh, targeting these potential end consumers. Therefore, while India cannot export clean fuels to this country, what India can do is, is we can leverage our low-cost manpower, our experience in manufacturing, etc., and try and see can we export electrolyzers and fuel cells, etc., to this country. And these countries, you know, if they are competitive, they can uh, export clean fuels to other countries that are highlighted in yellow. Now, a few countries like Australia, they are also a competitor because they are very aggressively pursuing uh, bilateral and multilateral uh, partnerships with uh, so-called export hubs of green hydrogen. Therefore, can we establish a supply chain of critical minerals with Australia and ensure that uh, our domestic manufacturers do not bear the brunt of non-availability of critical minerals? So, this is something that you know, the government uh, and we should think over uh, and develop a schematic relationship with various countries so that the clean fuels market it actually sees the light of the day. Now, the green hydrogen ecosystem in India is also full of challenges and you know I'll just throw some numbers for you to think over. So today we consume about 5.6 million tons of hydrogen. Now producing 5.6 million, million tons of green hydrogen would be, and this is something which I showed in the earlier slide, 150 gigawatt of renewable electricity about 100 gigawatts of electrolyzers, 170 billion dollars of investment. The land needed is about 2.5% of the land which is uh, size of Gujarat, uh, a water consumption which is about 10% of Gujarat water consumption. Likewise, India produced about 111 million tons of steel in the year 2019. Now, hypothetically, if that 111 uh, million tons were to be produced using green hydrogen, and we are looking at the solar installation capacity of about 264 gigawatts, Electrolyzer installation capacity of 73 gigawatts, an investment of about 33 billion dollars, and which is 6 percentage of Gujarat land, and the water consumption which is 15 percentage of Gujarat water consumption. So these are the challenges uh, that we'll have to face when we move towards the green hydrogen ecosystem in India. And here, so these are only the industrial demands. We were talking about uh, demand across mobility section, uh, aviation, shipping, etc. And the numbers are already going to now, in terms of challenges, there are other challenges as well. For example, the whole uh, political economy, and I think everyone here knows, it is a very strong barrier in India. Uh, there is a policy coherence which is needed. For example, you know, what should what should India do? Should we build renewable electricity, or should we invest in developing supply chain uh, infrastructure of green hydrogen? Likewise, should India go for hydrogen or electric vehicles, or even uh, LNG-based vehicles for heavy duty transport? Uh, should, in terms of infrastructure readiness, are our hydrogen, uh, are our natural gas pipelines even compatible to hydrogen? So can we go beyond 15-20%? Is X percentage of hydrogen, uh, gas pipelines ready for the hydrogen? What about the 1 minus X percentage? Will that, will that, you know, even be ready or what are the investments that are needed in long term uh, to make those hydrogen pipelines, uh, to natural gas pipelines uh, hydrogen ready? Uh, what are the issues? There are issues related to bridge reliance and open access challenge that I believe everybody knows. Uh, end user readiness will take time. So, for example, if we are talking about hydrogen blending and natural gas pipelines, are our steam methane reformers even ready to blend, you know, to take up 15-20% of hydrogen uh, directly coming from gas pipelines 
what are the issues uh, over there? What about our, uh, you know, gas vehicles, CNG based vehicles? Uh, can they capture 15% green hydrogen on a volume basis? So the end user readiness is also something that uh, we need to take care of. Of course, green hydrogen will always face competition from other upcoming technologies like EPUS and you know, Emma talked about uh, and also bioenergy options. And uh, you know, finally, as we as we saw in an earlier slide, 170 billion dollars for industrial hydrogen demand and 33 billion dollars for our IMC, you know, where is that money going to come from? And at what cost is it that money? And again, you know, this is something we saw in the previous slide, the scale of renewable energy deployment is unprecedented. And finally, you know, this is something uh, that we looked at uh, from the lens of the INFC industry, moving hydrogen, renewable energy, and moving iron ore, etc. What are we talking about fossil fuel jobs? You know, what might happen in the future is your unionized uh, jobs in the fossil fuel sector might be replaced by contractual jobs in the renewable energy sector. So, coal jobs uh, in the relatively poor states of, let's say, uh, Odisha, Jharkhand, and Chhattisgarh might move to renewable energy jobs, uh, so which are contractual in nature, to the, uh, the states like Gujarat, uh, Maharashtra, Rajasthan, etc. So, that also needs to be thought over, and of course, we need a significant repurposing and resetting of uh, our manpower. So these are a few of the challenges that we have you know, listed. And finally, uh, these are a few of our publications. Uh, there are many more in the pipeline that we'll see in the next few months. Uh, but in September last year, we released a report on uh, greening steel and uh, a case for a global green hydrogen alliance in the presence of uh, Minister Arjit Singh. Uh, in December last year again, uh, in recording the year 2020, uh, we released a report that talks about uh, techno-economics of uh, green hydrogen production costs in India. And, you know, I'd like to end with a cartoon uh, uh, as to what will it take for all of us to, you know, uh, ensure that the National Green Hydrogen Mission is indeed a success. Uh, with this, I'd like to close my presentation and if there are any questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Deepak. Uh, very, very insightful presentation and uh, a lot of food for thought, uh, uh, I think, for all the participants. Uh, I, I forgot to introduce uh, uh, Mr. Hamath is also uh, there on the call along with us. Uh, he is a senior program leader at CEW and he leads the industrial sustainability and competitiveness team at the council. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Deepak, once again for a very wonderful presentation. Uh, I think Apurva has one question. I'll just start with a few questions. Uh, Dr. Deepak, if you could uh, just browse back to the slide wherein uh, you indicated 111, uh, when you explained $1, 1 kilogram, 1 decade. Uh, there were a few numbers uh, under this. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, yes, yes, that's, that's the slide. I wanted to have a sense, uh, basically, uh, how do you see the probability of this numbers actually uh, being achieved, say, from 2.2 to, say, 0.84 to 1.1, that's one. Uh, secondly, when we say cost of, say, 750 going to 200, uh, what is the type of electrolyzer that we are looking at? Uh, there are four different types. I have some basic understanding. But to you, uh, being an expert in this field, uh, what do you think is a more sustainable proposition? Uh, one is based on the current technology, and secondly, uh, how it can evolve both from a technological as well as cost perspective. Uh, that, that's the first question. I have a few more. Okay. So in terms of uh, solar prices, uh, you know, I don't remember the actual numbers, but 
think go by the learning rate, uh, you know, the historical learning rate of other automated systems. I think they are 15 to 16 percent. Uh, then, you know, for the prices to decrease from 2.2 to 0.8, I think you need a Remember the number, I think it's in terawatt scale, right? So, that is the first aspect you will need a significant installed capacity of solar photovoltaic systems to benefit from the economy of scale. So, the second aspect is, so, the economy of scale that will eventually decrease the price of electricity which is obtained from solar power. There is something called efficiency which has also seen a historical, you know, there is a precedent of increasing the efficiency of solar TV systems. You know, two things, but uh, a, a learning rate effect uh, that you go for, you know, significant solar installation and the increase in efficiency, this can be assumed. Uh, but, you know, I tell you, in our in our analysis, based on the, based on constant efficiency and uh, the, the, the solar TV installation capacity uh, globally, uh, which are planned, uh, we, we see a, a, a price of about 1 rupee per unit being achieved in the year 2050. Uh, that is one thing. Uh, the second thing is on electrolyzers. Again, uh, you know, so we, have, we consider the electrolyzer cost of about $750 per kilowatt. And, you know, in all our studies, we have considered uh, alkaline electrolyzers. So, this, uh, the parameter that you see here, uh, efficiency of 56.5%, a stat life of, uh, of 8.5 years, they all correspond to alkaline electrolyzers. Again, from this data, uh, what we see is a pen electrolyzer, uh, they have slightly lower efficiency and slightly lower side life as compared to alkaline electrolyzers. But if I think now we have enough expertise in India, we can ask the electrolyzer manufacturers themselves, you know, whether these numbers uh, that we have considered they are okay or not. Or in terms of the lowest cost of electrolyzers, again, uh, you know, we considered alkaline electrolyzers, but both, uh, you know, uh, alkaline electrolyzers and pain electrolyzers, they have a potential of reaching of about no, uh, a delivery cost of over 200 to 225 to 250 dollars per year. But, you know, going below that, uh, there is a limitation uh, that will reach, uh, primarily because, you know, 200 dollars uh, essentially corresponds to a, a small margin, a thin margin, and a material cost, installation cost, etc. So, it's very unlikely that uh, electrolyzers will see a price which is lower than uh, 200 dollars per kilowatt. And, you know, that, the third point uh, that you made is about, uh, Four types of electrolyzers, and you know, that, that is very important because so the Israelis they have a technology that uh, has a so here we are talking about a futuristic efficiency of about 80 percent, but Israelis they have a technology and they claim a uh, efficiency of about 95 percent, right? And if you do a sensitivity analysis of hydrogen production cost with respect to all parameters, the most significant parameter is the the efficiency of the electrolyzer or rather the specific power consumption. So, if that specific power consumption or rather the efficiency is increases to 95% or the power consumption reduces to about, uh, let's say, you know, 40 kilowatt hour per kg from about 50 kilowatt hour per kg, then the prices of electrolyzers and hence the hydrogen price will significantly reduce. Also, on technology front, there is another upcoming technology uh, which is a solid oxide electrolyzer. This is something that you know, I pursued during my PhD. So, horizontal electrolyzers basically need uh, electricity of about 27 uh, kilowatt hour per kg of hydrogen and the maximum they need is about 35 kilowatt hour per kg. Whereas, alkaline and same electrolyzers today they need about 50 to 55 kilowatt per hour per, uh, per hour, uh, per 55 kilowatt hour per kg, sorry. And the lowest they can go is about 40 to 41 kilowatt hour per kg. Yes. Uh, but, you know, the challenge with horizontal electrolyzers is that 
Uh, they are very expensive. Uh, so today we are looking at alkaline and same at about 750, $800 per kilowatt maximum. Uh, for reduction electrolyzer, which is again based on what I have read in literature, uh, today they cost about $3,000 per kilowatt. Yes, you know, so that is the challenge. Uh, your efficiency comes at a price. So, unpolluted oxide electrolyzer, for example, we know the numbers, but we don't know about the ETAP or EEM, etc. So, uh, the, the efficiency is one parameter, but you should also be cognizant about the prices. Uh, sure. Uh, when we say this number of $750, is it only at the stack level or is it at the system no, level? This, this is the system level. This is the installed process we have also Okay. And uh, when we say stack life, uh, how should one understand uh, the underlying premise? Like, uh, uh, yeah. what is the variable? Is it a membrane or is it the number of hours uh, operational? How should uh, I'm, I'm just asking a very, very basic question because we yeah, have. So I'll uh, answer that in this. So, you know, so uh, in terms of stack life, so the manufacturers they give you number in uh, thousands of hours. Uh, so, for example, for alkaline electrolysis, I think we have considered the life of about. Uh, 75,000 hours, uh, that is the life uh, number that you are looking at. And you can, you know, reasonably assume that after 75,000 hours, you need a new set. Uh, it will not, you know, it will not, it's very unlikely that you will only replace your membrane and you will retain your critical minerals and other processes. Huh? So you can assume that after about 75,000 hours, uh, you have to change your standard. Uh, just one more question. Uh, I think you indicated like 45% of the hydrogen will be uh, used, utilized by PSUs. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the larger companies have already set out tenders uh, on, on hydrogen. Now, I, we haven't gone through any of that, but uh, if they are MTPC or some other company, what is it that I look at? Do I look at levelized cost of hydrogen? What is the approach? Uh, that probably NTPC will take when it floats uh, a tender and what are the variables that one should understand uh, or keep in mind uh, while analyzing uh, those? So, you know, I will not talk about uh, a particular company, but you know, if, if I own a company or if, if I am advising the management of a particular company, then you know, what I will look at is in hydrogen, today will definitely come at a period. So, so, the numbers might change. So, let's say, Somebody might say four dollars a kg. Somebody might say three dollars a kg. But it will definitely come at a premium. And therefore, as a company, you know, they have to take a call whether they have the appetite to, you know, digest that additional premium that they have to pay. So if they are a list of a fertilizer plant or a refinery, right, or even a, a power company, do they have the appetite in their balance sheet uh, to, you know, to absorb the premium that they have to pay? I think based on that, uh, they take a call and uh, say, but. The one thing is for sure, uh, green hydrogen is become at a premium. Uh, it's very unlikely that anybody will give you green hydrogen for uh, $1.5 a kg. Uh, sure. So, if the blending, what you indicated, the 10-15%, uh, if it is made mandatory, uh, I think uh, what you indicated in one of the slides as well, uh, the end result is uh, either, either uh, the central government has to bear the brunt or uh, the end user. Uh, I think that's, yes. that's a big call which is there and I think the numbers what you indicated for the steel industry, I think uh, people will jump off the roof. Uh, the numbers yes. are staggeringly high. Yes, uh, exactly. That's so why it doesn't make sense for us to get for it this way. Right. Uh, so in, in that case, is there some midway solution, blue hydrogen, coal gasification? Uh, how should one look at it? So you indicated like transitioning is, uh, transitioning is good from 0 to 30. 
and uh, you explained it beautifully on uh, the on the chart. But is is there a more practical midway solution for steel mills in India if they had to look at decarbonisation seriously? Yes, so in so you know for that we need to do a very uh, rigorous analysis. I uh, told you know there are a bucket of options which are available to Indian steel industry. So there is uh, you know uh, hydrogen, uh, there is energy efficiency that everybody talks about. And you know we talk to stakeholders and they they say that with energy efficiency alone there are emissions intensity can be reduced by 20 to 25 percent. So in that energy efficiency, uh, there is a CCU option uh, where we and here there are you know, players like Antarctic etc. that can that have technology to produce uh, aviation fuels etc. And then finally there is something called a sequestration which is also available. Uh, but you know again with the exception of energy efficiency, the other three or four options that we are considering, they will all they'll always come at a premium. So there is a you know if we are talking about there is no no zero cost net zero solution. You have to always pay a premium if you want to move beyond energy efficiency and of course, you know, I think well, it needs a it needs a little bit of detailing out, but given this uh, technology bucket, etc., which comes with a cost constraint and also a practicality constraint. And this case, I can tell you one you know, practicality constraint when it comes to CCS options. Uh, you know, are we, so they say today our steel industry or any other industry decides they want to do a CCS, what is the readiness? Can they start injecting from tomorrow? Or so they will need our six years or seven years to do a proper assessment of where exactly to do the inject and, you know, how much can they inject? So that is also something that we need to you know, think over before we uh, jump on one particular project. And, uh, just a related question, then, uh, are there any live examples globally? Uh, I think there is one a particular project that Elkev uh, and Sabar are uh, taking ahead. Uh, so, are there any noteworthy examples globally where this is something which is actually being done uh, on a commercial scale and not on a pilot scale? Oh, you are talking about hydrogen-based steel making? Yes. Oh, so if you go through our green steel report, you know, there are many companies that have announced uh, their plans, etc. And have also, you know, to achieve that plan, what would be the corresponding investment, etc. which are needed? They have indicated a few companies have started. So, for example, you might know about the hybrid project, right? Uh, that yeah. another that you gave an example of. A few companies have, you know, made some initial, uh, they have taken some initial calls, etc., on decarbonization, uh, but, you know, nothing concrete uh, in addition to a few helpful, so nothing concrete has actually uh, materialized in my body. Sure, that's, that's very useful. Uh, Apuru, I'll request you to please unmute yourself uh, and go ahead with the questions. Yeah, hey, thanks, Deepak. Thanks a lot for your wonderful presentation. Uh, very, very detailed. Deepak, uh, uh, just wanted to understand on this uh, stack uh, life and stack efficiency. Uh, so, do you see any benefit that PEM or solid oxide has over here, over alkaline, where in over a period of time they could probably start oversetting alkaline, or is it? more or less similar for all three and if alkaline achieves scale uh, right now uh, so it will be the dominant technology to stay. Yeah, uh, so Ritesh, uh, sorry, uh, Apur, on this, you know, each technology has its own advantages and limitations. So I can tell you only the advantages and we at TWS, we are very technology agnostic and I believe, you know, everybody should be. Uh, so in case of alkaline electrolyzer, for example, let's say, uh, you know, the, the green hydrogen blending now is in refineries and fertilizers. 
then the through uh, open access mechanism which means uh, the electrolyzers have to be located within the plant facility itself so in that case this is again from literature uh, alkaline electrolyzers typically have a larger footprint uh, you know area footprint as compared to pavement electrolyzers uh, but you know this uh, again uh, anecdotal evidence and you know based on literature alkaline electrolyzers have, have slightly lower cost as compared to pavement electrolyzers that is that is the second part and the third part is Pavement uh, electrolyzers, they are very flexible when it comes to, you know, operation with varying renewable electricity, whereas a few people say that alkaline electrolyzers are very flexible, etc. But, uh, you know, they, whatever I have read in literature, right, uh, alkaline electrolyzers, uh, they can ramp up an angle, but can they happen, uh, can they handle the second by second uh, variation in solar electricity and wind electricity, right? So that is something which needs to be seen. But I think these three parameters, your area footprint, uh, your cost and, you know, satellite efficiency, etc. And the third is your adaptability to varying renewable electricity. So if, by considering these three aspects, I think industries will have to take a call on, you know, which uh, technology to which is it alkaline or sand. Fair enough. And the satellite is similar for both? Uh, you know, so again, based on literature, the satellite of life of stem electrolyzers is slightly lower than alkaline electrolyzers, and I think by, uh, you know, 5 to 10,000 hours. Uh, the efficiency for stem is again, you know, lower than alkaline electrolyzers, but I think, uh, so this is again coming from literature which was published in 2019, 2020. I think it, uh, the best would be to directly talk to manufacturers and, you know, ask them what is their uh, expected life and efficiency. Thanks a lot for that. And secondly, I think uh, we had this discussion earlier as well regarding uh, what would be a better strategy to oversize the electrolyzer and the uh, renewable capacity or uh, more focus on a round-the-clock uh, renewable type of uh, power setup for uh, utilizing the electrolyzers better. Yeah, so, you know, uh, if you refer to our Greenspin report and also the, uh, the presentation that I made today, Something like uh, availability of green hydrogen for 8760 hours it does not make sense. You know, that is that is the obvious thing. That's why uh, the government is going ahead with the green hydrogen blending, you know. So you have, you generate green hydrogen whenever your renewable electricity is available. Uh, in uh, in the other times, whenever energy is not there, you simply shut down your electrolyzer because doing that way, you will significantly save on your uh, initial capital investment also, you know, the space constraint, etc., uh, which come into picture for green uh, hydrogen blending, uh, that will also be taken care of. You will not have to invest in, uh, let's say, battery energy storage or even hydrogen storage. So, you, you, you put in uh, whatever you generate and for the rest of the time, you just uh, shut down your electrolyzer and, uh, you know, uh, you uh, use your hydrogen which is obtained from natural gas. So, something like that initially uh, makes sense, uh, but, you know, yeah. If you, if you refer our green scale report again, you know, some, yeah, what you need is about little bit of natural gas, little bit of uh, grid electricity or captive electricity and significantly uh, save on cost rather than aiming for something which is 100% renewable. So that's some kind of premium and so it doesn't make any uh, commercial sense as well. You know, I was coming from the point that in case, I mean, if uh, electrolyzer capital expenditure is high upfront, uh, higher utilization should ideally yield lower uh, cost per kg for green hydrogen. 
I didn't, I didn't get your question, Abdul. Uh, what, I, what I mean to say is, uh, if we can utilize the electrolyzer uh, for a longer duration, or say on 95 oh, okay. plus, I'll see. I'll see. Yes. Okay. So, I'll tell you, in case of polar only operation, you will, your electrolyzer will open this. So in case of solar and the operation, your electrolyzer operates for about you know, have a PLA of about 30 to 33 percentage and then you see here your uh, level of cost of hydrogen is significantly high. In fact, you know, I, I also gave you a number, right? So if you are working with solar and the operations, uh, the electrolyzer size which is needed is about 17 to 18 gigawatts per MPV. Uh, but if you go for a wind on the operation, then your electrolyzer size is about 9 gigawatt per So roughly 50% reduction in your initial capex of the electrolyzer itself. Uh, because in case of wind energy system, your PLF will so double from let's say 33% for a solar only operation to about 66% uh, for a wind only operation. Right? Uh, so there is a clear benefit if you go for a higher PLF operation. In fact, if you do a wind solar hybrid and you properly optimize your system configuration, then your electrolyzer capacity requirement further reduces to about 8 gigawatts per MPPA and your hydrogen production cost also decreases marginally. So, you know, if, if industries today have to blend uh, green hydrogen, uh, you know, in refineries and fertilizers, then going for a wind-only system uh, that has, uh, you know, so in, in this particular case, we consider a, a wind generation cost of about 2.77 rupees a year. So if you have, you know, wind availability at uh, 2.77 rupees a unit, that can give your electrolyzer a PLF of over 66 percent, then that is much preferred over a solar only operation. The first would be wind solar hybrid that will, you know, increase your electrolyzer PLF to about 73 percent. So for solar is 33 percent, wind is 66, 67 percent, and for wind solar hybrid we are looking at uh, 73 percent PLF, and for the uh, that effect is also in in terms of your hydrogen production cost as well. I hope we answered your question. Yes, this is this is very useful. Uh, and just one last question from my side, and that is uh, sorry, Apurva. Uh, I think we are running out of time. If it's okay, then maybe we can take it offline. Sure, so we can do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, thanks, uh, Doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll reach out to you again to connect you with Apurva. Uh, but yeah. I will hand it over uh, to the place in the interest of time. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Deepak, uh, for a wonderful, very insightful presentation. Uh, honestly, a lot of food for thought, uh, a lot of things to ponder about. Uh, I'd also like to thank uh, uh, Heyman for joining on for this call. Uh, and thank you all the participants uh, for joining all for this session. Hope you found it uh, useful and very informative. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks.